All right, well, let's look into the Bible. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Now, this is a, a, a entire chapter on prophecy. And um, so uh, we're going to go through this tonight and uh, the rest, I think, next week. You'll notice there's no notes on the back from Charles Spurgeon, and that's because this same text, Mark 13, is almost written verbatim in Mark Matthew 24, the book before, and his notes are under Matthew 24, not Mark 13. So I'm going to read them to you in just a minute. He has some pretty interesting insights. This uh, portion of Scripture that we look at tonight, Mark 13, 1 through 18, we'll just divide into two simple sections. Verses 1 and 2, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem prophesied. And then verses 3 down through 18 is the uh, Olivet Discourse to a, a few of his disciples. And there are many different subjects in verses 3 through 18 that he addresses prophetically. Now, I think you all probably know what prophecy means. It means the foretelling of the future by the foreknowledge of God, what's going to happen before it ever happens. And that's one of the reasons why we are amazed at our God and amazed at the Scriptures uh, because of their ability, God's ability to tell the future by His foreknowledge what exactly is going to happen before it ever happens. And the reason for that is told us in John 13, 19, Jesus said this, Now I tell you, before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. And so the reason God has given us prophecy is so that we will believe, so that it will help our faith. Everybody's faith is at different uh, 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 a different measure. We all, we all begin with a, a measure of faith, the Scripture says. Those at Thessalonica, it says about that church that their faith grew exceedingly. And so all of our faith could grow more. And prophecy is one way that God uses. Again, in John 14, verse 29, Jesus says this, And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Again, believe or faith comes by studying the words of Christ, what he says, just marveling at the foreknowledge of God and how he was able uh, to uh, tell us the future before it happens by his foreknowledge so we can believe in the Lord. Uh, we don't have to doubt. He's, he, he's told us things in here that are going to happen long after everyone in this room is dead. Uh, and they're going to come to pass exactly the way the Lord said they would. And so have faith in God. Uh, about one-third of the Bible is prophecy. Now I know we, we, we hear that all the time, but there's no other religious books like the one you're holding in your lap. Uh, the Hindus don't have that. The Buddhists don't have that. The Muslims don't have that. But we have that. Why? Because we serve the true, the living, and the only God. And uh, as uh, God chided the other gods in Isaiah 43, 44, and 46, he said in those chapters, he said, if you're really gods, tell us about the future. Tell us what's going to happen. 
if you're really a God. I mean, who wants to follow a God that can't tell you one thing about the future? Well, we don't have to. We have a God who tells us about the future, and we can trust in him, and your faith can grow. And so we have prophecy. Now, the first one is a past prophecy, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 through 18 are future prophecies. So many of the prophecies have been fulfilled already in the past. Some are being fulfilled today right in front of our eyes. Uh, And then many will be fulfilled yet in the future. Let's look at the first two verses. And as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, we've gone over this many times. I love this portion of Scripture. It just helps my faith in the Lord. I mean, he is just dangling his credibility out in front of everybody. Uh, He's just saying that, look, see these buildings here? Now, we don't know what Jerusalem looked like back then, but on the back of your sheets, you will see a um, drawing by Dr. Conrad Schick, who studied all of the history and all of the descriptions of the buildings and the temple in uh, uh, Jesus' day, as described by some historians such as uh, Flavius, Josephus, and others. So there were historians, they didn't, have, they didn't have cameras in that day, but there were historians who described the temple and described the buildings around the temple in, uh, in great detail. And uh, so the best he could, and you can go and Google this and you'll see other, uh, other renditions of this by others who've studied this that don't exactly look like this, but... The best Dr. Schick uh, could come up with, he believes that this is what the side of Mount Moriah looked like when Jesus said the words he said in verse 2, when he said, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. I've explained this many times because I'm so fascinated with it. But this is called Zerubbabel's temple, as you'll see at the top of your drawing. And it was also known as Herod's temple because Herod made renovations to Zerubbabel's temple. So we believe biblically there's going to be three temples. The first was Solomon's temple that was destroyed. The second was Zerubbabel's temple, which was inferior in uh, uh, its makeup, but uh, superior because God promised in one of the prophets that uh, Malachi, chapter 3, that uh, the Messiah would come suddenly to the temple. And this is the one that he was brought into. Now, this was Herod's renovation of Zerubbabel's temple, so sometimes it's called Herod's temple. But this structure here that we are looking at here, not just the temple, but the buildings around it, took 46 years to build, according to the book of John. The Gospel of John, 46 years. And that's what the temple basically looked like, Zerubbabel's temple there that Jesus went in. And you know the stories about how he cleansed the temple in his first 
year of public ministry and the third year of his public ministry. That's the temple where that, that red arrow comes down. And then we, we don't know where these disciples were standing in verse 1. But somewhere they were standing, Jesus has left the temple for the very last time. He will never go back into it again. Um, He's going to be crucified, buried, risen again, and then he would spend 40 more days on earth before he ascended into heaven, but not once would he go into the temple. So this is his final farewell to Zerubbabel's temple. Um, And as maybe they're looking back, I don't know what, but... uh, um, they say, the disciples say to him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. That's kind of a pretty human thing to say. Because when we compare the buildings that man has made compared to the creation God has made, there is no contest. Uh, just when you look at the universe or the galaxy and even this new telescope we have that's showing us stuff that God has made, and it's like, Wow. Uh, the buildings man makes do not impress the Lord. But maybe they thought it was going to. And so they, they, they showed him all these buildings. And uh, Jesus answered them, Seest thou these great buildings? So look at that picture there. And Jesus is saying, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now again, his entire credibility is at stake plus the credibility of Matthew, Mark, and Luke who had to write those things. So you have four men and their credibility is at stake if there's one stone that is uh, still there. Uh, So it's quite a prophecy, quite a prophecy. I want to encourage you to be familiar with that. Use it if you see somebody who's lacking faith. Now, I have Spurgeon's Bible here, and from uh, Matthew's account, He does have some notes. They're not from Mark's account, so we didn't put them on the back. And uh, he goes back, first of all, to Matthew 23, verses 35 through 36, where it says that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel. That's the first uh, murdered uh, man, Cain slew Abel, unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Now Spurgeon says this, so they did. The destruction of Jerusalem was more terrible than anything the world had ever witnessed. There must have been nearly a million and a quarter of people killed during that terrible siege And even Titus, the Roman general, when he saw the awful carnage, said, What must be the folly of this people, that they drive me to such work as this? Surely the hand of an avenging God must be in it. Truly the blood of the martyrs slain in Jerusalem was amply avenged when the whole city became a veritable field of blood. And so that, uh, that was uh, something, uh, boy, you, you just, you don't mess with God's preachers. No matter what you think of them, don't mess with them. All right, uh, this severe judgment uh, was the Lord saying, look, the blood from Abel to Zacharias, everyone that you shed is going to come upon you, you're going to pay. You're going to pay. 
I want to encourage you to love preachers, love prophets, and uh, so you receive a prophet's reward. But these Jews also said, His blood be on us and on our children. And so he's got another note now under Matthew 24, verses 1 through 2, which is almost exactly as Mark 13, 1 through 2, that we just read. He said, The Lord, having finished his first discourse in the temple, left it never to return. His ministry there was ended. As Jesus' disciples moved away with him toward the Mount of Olives, they called his attention to the great stones of which the temple was constructed and the costly adornments of the beautiful buildings. To them the appearance was glorious, but to their Lord it was a sad sight. His father's house, which ought to have been a house of prayer for all nations, had become a den of thieves and soon would be utterly destroyed. Flavius Josephus tells us that Titus, the Roman general, at first tried to save the temple even after it was set on fire, but his efforts were to no avail. At last he gave orders that the whole city and temple should be leveled, except the small portion reserved for the garrison of soldiers. This was so thoroughly done that the historian says nothing was left to make visitors believe it had ever been inhabited. Now, that's amazing. Uh, and that's the judgment of God. But he's thorough. He's done that before. Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, Bethsaida, Capernaum, uh, Chorazin, Babylon, Tyre. Uh, you've heard some of those prophecies. There's nothing left. Uh, pretty thorough. Pretty thorough. Now this is the size, and, and I've mentioned this before, this, this uh, area-wise is equivalent to 10 uh, of the Walmarts in Hamburg. And that's how big this area is that you're looking at. Uh, this is 10 times larger than the square footage of the floor at Walmart. That's quite a prophecy. And if you go there today, or if you look at pictures, go home, look at pictures, you'll see it's, it's, there's, there's no rocks on top of each other. There's a couple of uh, Muslim temples, or Muslim uh, mosques that they have built on there that are very temporal. Uh, I think in the 8th century, or I'm not sure when they built those, but, uh, but uh, you can go over there, and some of you are going to Israel, 11 of you are going to Israel, and they'll probably take you on that, uh, that porch there, and you'll see... That you would you will look around and you will say, doesn't look like anyone ever lived here, but that's what it looked like. Well, let's go on now. Here's something interesting about verse three. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, "Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled?" Now, I want you to notice this discourse is given to four different apostles privately. Why? My answer is this, because they asked. Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. They asked. Perhaps others didn't. And that's pretty much how people get knowledge and others stay ignorant. Some ask for it and pursue it, and others never ask for it. Uh, 
God said to Solomon, ask whatever you want. And the Lord and Solomon said, what? I want you to give me an understanding heart. He asked for it. No one else did. And so God put more wisdom in Solomon than in every man that ever lived before or after. He wrote 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs. Do you ever try to write one song? Do you ever try to write one proverb that no one else has ever thought about before if you think you're so smart? Do you ever try that? And God gave him all that wisdom and all those songs because he asked. He asked. You have not because you ask not. And I just wanted to make that point about verse number three. Ask, ask God. Ask God privately like they did. Four. And he goes into this amazing discourse on prophecies in the near future. And some of these are tribulation prophecies. And there's different subjects about what the Lord said would come as, as, as we approach the end times, we approach the last days. I believe we'll begin to see uh, the forerunners to these things. And uh, at first, the answer begins with this, verse 5. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying... I am Christ and shall deceive many. Now, before you're waiting for people to literally say, I am Christ, keep in mind that the word antichrist literally means in the place of Christ. Yes, it means he's against Christ, but he's an imposter who is in the place of Christ and that he would deceive many. In 1 John 2 and verse number 18, Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Well, where'd they hear that from? From Jesus. Even now are there many Antichrists, that is, imposters, ones that look just like him, deceivers, whereby we know it is the last time. Verse 22 Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So whenever you're trying to find discernment and you're talking to somebody and your spirit doesn't bear witness with their spirit, and there seems to be something wrong, start with the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. Do you believe Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe he was always God? Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses say, yeah, we believe he's God. But they don't believe he was always God. They believe he was the brother of Lucifer, and that he chose good, Lucifer chose bad, and, and he became God-like Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus is the Almighty Father, the everlasting, the everlasting Father, the Almighty God, the Prince of Peace. He always was. <coughs> Start there. <laughs> the Bible says an antichrist denies the deity of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ, both those names that name Jesus, the title Christ, refer to deity. Jesus, Jehovah our salvation. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, that deity is come in the flesh, is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, 
Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So even before the first century ended, there were impostors and antichrists deceiving many people. In 2 John 1 and verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So know that doctrine. Know the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. Have a whole bunch of verses memorized. Stand on guard because they deny it. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was referring to in verses 5 and 6. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you, deceivers. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. They're not going to say, believe in the Christ of the Bible. They're going to say, believe in us. I am Christ. We're right. The Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses are very, very Johnny-come-latelys to religious history, but they deny the deity of Christ. So do Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and, and every cult you can imagine. They deny that Jesus Christ is Lord, but someday they will bow their knee and they will confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So know that doctrine, man, fight for that doctrine. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter number uh, um, 4 and verse 1, we hear about all kinds of demonic teaching in the last days. That's now. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, listening, to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Yes, we're going to even see people leave the church. They say the Jehovah's Witnesses is 40% former Baptists who just sat around and said, well, whatever the pastor says, instead of digging in and getting their own personal doctrine down, and their own verses memorized, they just said, eh. and then they, they, they were deceived very easily and uh, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So you got that, antichrists, false religion, deceivers in the last days. The Lord says that the world is going to be loaded with that. And boy, you've got to study today. You've got to study today. Because uh, there's all kinds of cults and isms out there. Next thing is wars and rumors of wars, verse 7 and 8, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Uh, there is a, a book, a huge book out called The Encyclopedia of Wars. I think it was 2008 that it came out, The Encyclopedia of Wars. And it says that in known history, that in this encyclopedia, they catalog 1,763 wars uh, in history so far. And I guess in all of human history that we know it, being about 6,000 years, there's only been about 200 years of peace on earth. There's only been about 200 years scattered, sprinkled throughout history where they could not put their finger on some war going on at that time. Today, there are 27 wars on earth. You don't even know. All you hear about is Ukraine and Russia. That's all you hear about. The other day, I was hearing about Armenia and Azerbaijan. 
that 200 soldiers on each side were killed in one battle. That's a lot. Now, that's nothing compared to the, some of the wars we've been in. But still, uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia uh, were at war, and 400 men died just a couple days ago uh, in that war. And we know about Russia and Ukraine, what, what hideous things we're hearing about the torture chambers, about over almost 200,000 Ukrainians being taken by Russians to these torture chambers. And this is happening while we debate uh, whether or not uh, Mr. Trump incited a riot on January 6th, you know. Um, and it, it's just horrific things uh, going on. Now, 27 wars takes 54 nations, if you double it. Okay, you don't order it with yourself. But uh, so if that's true, if there's 54 nations at war, and, and these aren't like daily wars, and some of them we might consider conflicts, but 54 nations are going at it with, with unresolved conflicts. They're at war officially and uh, maybe not fighting every day. But there's 195 nations on earth. Uh, if I did my math right, that's 27% of the world today is at war. And then there's rumors of wars. And we hear, like, for instance, China and Taiwan and the, all the saber rattling from Iran. They're always rattling their sabers <coughs> over there. They don't have anything else to do all day, I guess. So let's get their sabers out and rattle them. Um, but uh, earthquakes in diverse places. Where was that one yesterday? The big earthquake yesterday. Mexico City. Okay, I, I heard there was a big earthquake somewhere, diverse places. Famines and troubles. There's going to be some man-made famines coming. Do you know? Did you know the average farmer in America is 60 years old, and none of the young people in this country want to be farmers? Do you see the problem that might pose pretty soon? It sounds like the ministry, too. A bunch of old goats in the ministry now and very few young men want to get in. But uh, we may have some man-made. There's man-made famines. China had a big man-made famine under Mao Zedong. Forty million Chinese starved their own people. They starved their own people. That's one of the worst ways to die, from what I understand, is to starve to death. So who knows what's coming Famines and troubles, these are the beginning of sorrows. And, uh, well, we're running out of time here. I better just kind of read through some of this. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to the councils and the synagogues. You shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Now keep in mind that <clears throat> these prophecies in Matthew 24, here in Mark 13, are to a Jewish audience. So you can't take everything and somehow apply it to America. They are to a Jewish audience. I doubt if you and I are going to be taken up to the synagogues and be beaten. But they would be. And you should be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. Well, we may end up in court or something. I know that. But, uh, and uh, 
During this time, the gospel must first be published among all nations. Now, I'm not quite sure if this is prior to the tribulation seven years or, or during. We do know that during the tribulation period, the gospel will be published to all nations. But we have such a golden opportunity today with the social media and, and, and things that at our hands as, as churches that people have never had before. And uh, so we have the chance to help fulfill verse number 10. And it is going to be fulfilled, for we know in Romans 5, 9 and Romans 7, 9, that in heaven there will be people out of every kindred, every people, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. That's what the Bible says. Uh, the gospel will get to every tribe and every nation, every people, every tongue, every language, every dialect. We may scratch our heads now and wonder how, but uh, God is able. And uh, we believe it will be fulfilled. But, verse 11, when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But, what, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. What a wonderful promise to those that will be persecuted in future days when they are brought up uh, to be delivered. And uh, I want to encourage you to keep that second part of verse 11 in its context. All right? Uh, you know, if you're, if you're taken to court or something, uh, don't, don't, don't speak or premeditate. Just let the Holy Spirit flow through you. But I've seen people take this and apply it to preaching and teaching. Leave it in its context. Um, they, they use a fancy word, it's called extemporaneous. And they say, I'm an extemporaneous preacher, I just get up and whatever the Holy Ghost gives me. No, no, no. No, the Holy Spirit is for preparation, okay? Uh, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And uh, the, the preparations of the hearted man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The heart of the righteous studyeth the answer. I mean, we're supposed to study and uh, talks about the preacher there in Ecclesiastes 12 and how he studies and he sets in order many proverbs and his sermons are like nails and, and uh, like, um, you know, building blocks and so on. And so don't take that out of context and say, no, I'm not going to study for my Sunday school class this week. I'm just going to let the Holy Ghost flow through me. You may have a mental block and uh, then the kids will give you a program. <clears throat> things aren't going to be well with the family verse 12 now the brother shall betray the brother to death and the father the son and children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death my oh my just look at the family today is one third in our country one third of the children are being brought up without fathers and we're seeing the symptoms of that with some of the bizarre behaviors some of the bizarre alternate lifestyles that we have going on. It's all rebellion. It's all rebellion against God ultimately, but against fathers. That's why we've got to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And um, uh, so it's, it, 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 there's, there, there's things about the last days that are really going to get ugly. Verse 12, the family. Charity should begin at home. 
But there's too many evil influences in the home that are allowed by parents. And we are warned, parents, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And we got a lot of people corrupted because evil communications are allowed uh, in the home. And then it goes on, it says, You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but ye, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. <clears throat> and I believe all this is in the text of the tribulation period, especially verse 14, which talks about the Antichrist. If you're wondering, what is the abomination of desolation? I see that mentioned in Daniel and Matthew and Mark. What is that? That's the Antichrist. Uh, if you want to write in your notes, Second Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, he's the abomination that desolates the temple, and he will sit in the rebuilt temple, which is, is, is getting prepared for now. After three and a half years of tribulation, he's going to take over the temple of God, and from there he's going to declare to all the world that he is God and demand two things, that everybody worship his image, number one, and number two, that everybody receive his mark in either their forehead or in their right hand. And uh, they won't be able to buy or sell. And we can see forerunners to that. We know this is to the Jews because it says, when you see that abomination, then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him that is in the house stop not go down to the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not return again to take up his garment. In other words, when that happens, you need to get out of Judea. Go run to the place where God has prepared for you, a place that he will hide, Revelation 12, verse 6, for 1,260 days. He will protect the Jews in Israel. That's three and a half years. You can read that in Revelation 2. And verse number 6. So that's Jewish instruction in that prophecy. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Again, that's Jewish instruction right there. All right, don't take that and say, well, we shouldn't have kids. Um, Twice, twice to the Jews, twice to the Jews, Jesus said, you're going to wish you didn't have kids. Uh, One was on his way up to Calvary's mountain as he was bearing his cross And he said in Luke chapter number uh, 23 and uh, verses 28 and 29, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming, in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. And he was talking about what we studied at the beginning of tonight's message, the destruction of Jerusalem when one and a quarter million Jews were massacred. Those ladies saw the fulfillment of that prophecy he made on his way up to Calvary to die for us. He says, you're going to wish you didn't have kids then. And then in the tribulation, he says to the Jews again, you're going to wish you didn't have kids when this happens. But don't take those out of context. Some people do and say, well, we shouldn't have kids. It's such a bad world that we live in, you hear that. I, we said that. My wife and I said that. Do we really want to have kids? I remember saying that. The world's so bad. But uh, that's, that's something you've got to leave in God's hands by faith and go forward in your marriage. 
So we'll, uh, we'll do the rest of the chapter next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for prophecy. We thank you for that which has been fulfilled to the letter, that which has been fulfilled to the T, and uh, it causes us to have great faith, Lord Jesus, in you and your words and what you said about everything. And then, Lord, as we see some of the things, the false Christs, those denying the deity of Christ, the wars, the rumors of wars, the potential famines and earthquakes and pestilences and uh, Lord, we're, we're seeing that and we're seeing Israel go back, the Jews go back to Israel and, and how there is going to come a day when the Antichrist will take over and all these things, Lord, may we leave church tonight with our faith greater in the Word of God than it's ever been before. Help us this week to live for Thee, to tell others. Fill us, Lord, with Your Spirit now. Give us safety going home. Help the sick tonight. And those on this prayer list that we get on our knees in private with you and go carefully down through it one line at a time for these important requests. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You're dismissed. <laughs>